Why you're not a fan of the smoking ban, Tim? No, I am a fan of it. Why you're a smoker? Yeah, but I don't want to be a say smoker. I'm a fan of it as well. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be a smoker because it is bad for you. Kill. But smoking is not banned in itself. I don't know. I, I like but, the, I like the photos of... you get on cigarette packets now because you get to play top trumps. <laughs> yeah. You got smoking baby. You got like what's that leukemia or cancer sufferer? Yeah. I've got I've got stroke poorly acted, which I think <laughs> I like is that like guy. that's an unknown because <laughs> that's the worst worst attempt. At He's stroke dead. I've seen. He's that really guy's dead. Pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's missing is the fag in the corner of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a sign of a cigarette, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tom, Dick and Not Hyman show with me, Tom. And no Hyman. Joining me today, we've got Tim. Hello. How are you doing, Tim? I'm good, I'm good. Still hyped for Mayweather versus McGregor? I'm, I'm too hyped. At, at this point, there's six weeks to go. I can't take it. I'm, I'm too excited. Also joining us today, it's Cameron. Hi. And on this, episode 47, we're going to be reviewing War for the Planet of the Apes. Prior to that, we're asking if Labour MP Rebecca Long-Bailey is right and that getting in the backseat of an Uber is immoral. But kicking us off... It's a special anniversary celebration of Nanny State Overreach. Oh, you're back. I wondered where you'd gone. I know, mate. That's going to get one ended. Oh, dear. I thought you'd have given up by now. Oh, no. How was work today then, mate? Oh, not bad, not bad. How about you? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, mate, I'll be working all across the weekend, so I'm going to be pretty hectic, you know. So, I mean, we'll see what comes of it, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. So what are you up to this, this weekend, please? You wouldn't expect people to force their drink upon you, so please don't force your smoke on other people. On the 1st of July 2007, smoking will be banned in all public places. This includes all pubs, clubs and restaurants. If you're caught breaking the law, you could be fined 50 quid. Quite a humorous public service announcement there, uh, typically. It makes a good point. It is, like, offensive blowing smoke in someone else's face. Yeah, if you couldn't tell, they were spitting... It was a parody. Yeah. They were spitting beer in each other's faces. But to be honest, I've never... I've, it's pretty rare that I see someone take a drag of a cigarette and then blow directly into the person they're speaking to's face. It's a bit rude, even in the obnoxious smoker world. Mm, it's mm. a bit rude to just blow it straight in someone's face. Bit of yeah. a social faux pas. But of course, we, we all forget what it used to be like, you know, when, when you used to go out like to a nightclub or a pub and you'd be there all night and the next morning, you know, all your clothes would stink of smoke. I it cool. did stifle the sweat smell that you get in the club. Yeah, now, now, now places just... Now you get this like, acidic uh, you know tinge to the air. Ventilation systems were like specifically configured thanks to um, airplane technology yeah. to get rid of tobacco smoke. And that's what, like, the big venues had. And so even though you were smoking in there, I don't recall really being, like, overwhelmed with the pungent smell of tobacco when you went inside a club because they had these air ventilation unit things. Well, you only went to the classy places. But then, <laughs> but then when the smoking ban came in, they got rid of those. And so then you start smelling all the BO and the sweat and people's, like, halitosis breath. You know? It is, is ripe. <laughs> but it's been 10 years of the England and Wales smoking ban. And Northern Ireland. In England, it was the 1st of July. 10 years of the, I would call it, indoor public smoking ban. You can still smoke outside in public. Well, you're, you're basically, you're forced to smoke outside in public now. I think it's done done a lot of good. I think it's uh, made people go out and actually opened up a social avenue. Because uh, you go out for a cigarette, you, you, you get into a conversation sometimes, especially if you're pissed with people that are out there with you. Not if you're antisocial. You group. If you're antisocial, you just do it yourself. But it's opened up the possibility more so. You found a common route into a conversation. What is that classic thing, have you got a light? Yeah, yeah. So we are three Never. smokers here. I'm constantly trying to quit smoking. And I, I've, I have quit and I've started again and I've quit. And I've started again. True sign of addiction. It's it's very it's very it's Moorish. Routine. It's very it's Moorish. As well. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a habitual smoker. Mm. If I have any sort of free time, I spark up. Oh, three minutes for a bus. I can fit in. I can fit in a fag. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing I once thought about smoking was um, the reason be even why people take smoking breaks. It is like a sort of time out from the world, isn't it? It's yeah, like I love that. Of, it's like a bit of a three-minute pause button. Yeah, that and the uh, toilet are my favourite places to be at work. But obviously, 
aside from the psychological, physically it's 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 designed to be addictive. You know, I was reading that our brains have these receptors that specifically fit you know nicotine love really nicely and we, we're born with them and we've got every human has the capacity to to be a smoker and, and love it but it's it'll kill it you takes it takes a certain amount of willpower to get addicted to cigarettes nobody enjoys their first cigarette that's true oh, it's, it's foul it takes a little while pressure yeah but talking about going outside and having a fag whilst at work it's all fun and dandy when the weather's nice outside but when it's pissing down with rain no you gotta earn it and and that, like, that's testament to addiction more than anything the occasional bit of hail mm. is it right to send an employee outside to face the elements just because they but want to have a you're not sending fag? them you're not sending them you're, you, you are you're just you know you're not forcing you used to be able to smoke to at outside. your desk they can choose not to go out for a cigarette but in, in, in a way it now it just means that other people don't have to be exposed to it as much well guys like in, in a way now the way that a lot of businesses work people will to get in and out of a building they have to tap in a key code or flash a card or something yeah, mm. so you, you, everyone is like monitored a lot more now and a lot of companies will actually want to clamp down on this sort of thing and you might think it's bad like forcing someone outside being stripped. or even forcing someone not to smoke but this whole smoking ban thing it has been there has been a big shift in the culture of smoking now people will just walk up to you who know you and say oh you smoke that's terrible why are you smoking you should quit smoking you know, whereas before people it, would be like, well, you're in business. But now it's sort of recognised that it's a terrible thing. Don't employees have rights? But the right to a lunch break? Yeah. Yeah. The right if they are addicted to People tobacco. have got the right to go outside and have a cigarette. But yeah, but I don't think they should be forced but I, I don't think other people should be forced to be able to breathe in the smoke. But, like, I'm but this tr- is what you used to have. You used to have a designated, well-ventilated smoking room. Not, not every place, but a lot of places did. And now it's like, you know, when it's snowing outside blustery gales at work i think the vast majority of people for a number of decades have been content going outside and having a cigarette even before the smoking ban yeah i mean your argument stands if you're in a club or if you're in a pub um whereby if it's your social time you should be able to like be able to you know relax and have i'd a say a pub maybe not a club well, in a club, a you pub, smoke out of pure nerves and boredom at times. Yeah, something to put in your hand. Yeah, if you're I a man, talk something... to these people. Don't really want to dance. Fuck it, I can't just stand here and stare at people. I look like a lech. <coughs> right, darling. <laughs> Smoker, smoking used to be cool. It is sort sort of still cool because it's like doing anything that can kill you is cool in a weird, twisted way, isn't it? Anything it's risky, like not caring about your life and consequences. Being irreverent, it's cool. You know, because you said earlier, come. Uh. It's not right to make people smoke around other non-smokers, right? But yeah. when you're making people go outside to smoke, aren't you doing that more? Like, there's more chance of someone walking past you yeah, with a baby in a wider <laughs> area. It's a wider area, and it will dissipate in the wind more. At least you're outside, because I think technically the rule was if it has three walls and a ceiling, like attached, all connected up. Technically, that's a public indoor public space, and you can't smoke in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we don't have proper smoking shelters outside mm. that actually protect you from the elements. It's like, did you ever watch, did you ever watch um, the IT crowd? Yeah, uh, what, did they have smokers? Oh yeah, well there was one. Yeah, the uh, I thought it's quite a progressive. Character. I thought it's quite well, a progressive yeah, but she show. would go out for cigarettes, and then when the smoking ban was introduced, she's like finding that more and more people are leaving smoking for the sheer inconvenience of going outside. And they had a smoke uh, like a smoking stance like outside the office, and then throughout the course of the episode, it got moved further and further away, and it turned to some like kind of Russian exodus where they're all huddled around with these like um headscarves on, <laughs> and they're like going on this long slog through the rain to be able to go and have a cigarette, and they're like Sergey's like. No, I can't do it anymore. Is that not <laughs> I quit? Is that not cruel? Well, it was a parody, but it's. I don't find it cruel. Like, like I say, I, I don't want to smoke. I'm trying to quit as we speak. As he's smoking, <laughs> I'm not smoking. I'm not smoking at the moment. My hands are free. I actually, for me, the idea of a sort of enforced structure that encourages me not to smoke is actually quite attractive. You, you know. like the nanny state coming in and telling you what you're doing. You like being able to do. rebel, don't you? As far as that smoke goes, in my house, fuck you. To, to make it as difficult, you know, I wish, you know, if they banned cigarettes, then no one would smoke unless black market, you know, but they should make it as difficult as possible, really, shouldn't they? To sm- smoke. Like, they already do. It's already ridiculously expensive. Safe, safety matches. They're so safe, oh, they no. don't even fucking light. You know but, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. They only light on one specific type of matchbox. <laughs> hold on with, with the perfect, with the perfect <laughs> pressure. Magnifying glass, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean, in the sun. But um, I remember when the ban was coming in and the whole debate leading up to it, 
And the real main argument put forward for it was the health argument. Mm. I think it was even a lobby group called the Action on Smoking and Health, yeah. who are obviously massively anti-smoking. And they, uh, their argument was, okay, we're a liberal country, so people can choose to smoke if they want. They weren't pushing for making smoking illegal, but they were majorly concerned about the ill effects of secondhand smoke. I recall there were like all these studies coming out about the ill effects, the harm of passive smoking. But they would be of three types. One type would be promoted by a tobacco lobbyist group. The second type would be an anti-smoking lobby group. Mm. And then the third would be like a neutral, independent, we just want to know what's what. And I, if I remember correctly, the independent studies were inconclusive. Well, I don't know. A report in 2008 estimated that without urgent action, the global death toll for tobacco would exceed um, 8 million Lung cancer and heart disease. Uh, yeah, probably anything that can be directly related to smoking. But the ones I remember seeing were saying there are harmful effects from secondhand smoke. But I remember one, like it was put in one of these studies that you would have to be in a very small enclosed space that didn't have any sort of ventilation for 9 and 12 hours a day, day in, day out, to actually have long-term harmful effects. I can't remember what funded, it was called. Though. Funded by. <laughs> no, this was uh, this is one of the neutral. <laughs> no, this was the neutral one because like the pro smoking ones were like, yeah, there's no harmful effects to secondhand smoke whatsoever. In fact, there may in fact be some benefits. <laughs> yeah. There is a long history of uh, tobacco companies. They they, they, they oh, yeah. do have tremendous wealth and, and influence. They don't really have much influence these days. They they lose every time now. Mm. Yeah. Every time they go to court, they lose. Oh yeah, they've been successfully labelled as. Devils. <laughs> Demons. The, the merchants of death. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember thinking of it, this is a triumph of hysteria over actual hard evidence. Mm. The negative effects of secondhand smoke are not nearly as bad as the proponents of the smoking ban made out. On paper, that was the reason why the ban was brought in. I think there was a, a secondary, real reason why the uh, smoking ban was successful. Do you remember the posters that said... Um, if you smoke, you stink. And it would have a picture of a young girl holding her nostrils like closed in disgust. Yeah, you're going to pull, lads. Well, exactly. yeah, it was fair, like a shaming to kiss yeah. someone. You're trying to kiss a smoke. But like I you say, just get this wave of poison <laughs> directed in yeah. your face. It's not sexy. Kissing an ashtray. Ugh. That was 10 years ago. But now that sort of discourse, like I was saying, is just day to day now. People will say like, oh, you stink of smoke and stuff. Whereas people never used to go on about it so much. But now it's, it's just, it, that's work. That's gone into the yeah. public. But isn't it rude? Isn't that a kind of sort of a rude thing to do? When I'm sitting next to someone on the bus and they smell, mm. I don't say anything. I suck it up. <laughs> Not literally. I try and hold my breath. Yeah. <laughs> right through my nostrils, you, You're man. definitely changing your seating position with your hand covering your nostrils <laughs> so you're trying to breathe in your own breath. I, don't. <laughs> I can take that. <laughs> Do you know, I know what it is. I know after 10 minutes, I'm not going to notice it anymore. But Cam, you brought up a reduction in heart attacks. It used to, I think it always was number one killer, heart disease. And then I think number two was lung cancer. Since the introduction of the smoking ban in 2007, supposedly a 40% reduction in the number of heart attacks, which wow. the government tends to claim is because of the smoking ban, like mm. directly caused by... Less people smoke now than 10 years ago. Yeah, true. But that's a downward trend for like the last 40 years. The number of people taking up smoking, that rate has been going down for 40 years. I mean, it's pretty much plateaued mm. in terms of like, there's only a real hardcore left of people who no matter how much you try and explain to them how damaging to your lungs smoking is, no matter what, they're hardcore, they're not going to stop. Mm. That's they're working class. It's a drug. It's nothing to do with class, man. It's, it it's is. It's it addictive. does break down. It's addictive, though. It breaks down that it's um, the reduction has been on the middle class side m much more than the working class side. Also, you've seen the rise of um, vaping. I mean, is that classified as smoking or not? No. Well, there you go. Because that's what they say. They make a big deal of young people. Oh, the smoking ban has been good because the number of young people taking up smoking has drastically declined. However, the number of people, uh, young people, 18 to 24, who are taking up vaping, e-cigarettes, mm. that's going up. So it's kind of been supplanted. Though I would say vaping is the healthier option. Not healthy, healthier. Yeah. Hopefully it is. You never know, like 10 years from now, they might find out it's actually like 10 times worse. 
Well, some people will say it is more carcinogenic, but that was a variable bolt battery where they turned the voltage up way higher than any human, any sane human being would do. But the actual like capsule of liquid nicotine, yeah. if you broke that open and just poured it down your throat, it'd be make you very, very ill. You'd have to go to hospital. You know, it could kill you. Yeah, it's poison. It's irritating. You, when you spill it on your fingers, it irritates your skin. So you know it's definitely, mm. it's obviously not healthy. Basically, if you're inhaling anything other than air, it's not good for you. But that was an explosion, I think, back in 2012. Mm. You started seeing vaping shops. Other initiatives, courtesy of the Action Committee Against Smoking and Health, whatever. I can't remember their fucking name. Puritanical bastards. You may have now noticed the plain packaging on tobacco. Oh, you can't yeah. miss it. That dark green. You know, they chose that color specifically. It's meant to be a sickly... Uh, it's, apparently, it's the least attractive color when it comes to sales and marketing. Apparently, in Victorian times, there used to be a name for a type of paint, and it was puke green. It is horrid. And obviously, the pictures got bigger. The pictures of the dead people. And Play like top trumps with them. Bingo. He's got the worst. I like the Bill Hicks joke. I got the ones that said low birth weights. But yeah, the pictures have got bigger. The one that gets me is the toe. The missing toe one. Okay. Where the foot's all like kind of gangrene. Mm, like it's had surgery or cut into multiple times. That's a dead man's foot. Looks like he's been tortured. And there's also one I read about where these people, they claimed that there was a picture of like, a, there's one that's a picture of some guy on the fucking mortuary slab. This yeah. person was like, that's my dad. Why'd you take a picture of his body for you? It turned out to be someone completely different. Uh, it wasn't related. They documented false. it with someone else. It was just someone. Frivolous like claim. Yeah. Still out of order though. Well, not really. Another initiative was the uh, hiding the tobacco behind them. Oh, the thing about the plain packaging, they hide it behind these little screens, first of all, and now they're all the same fucking colour, same design. Mm. And so the poor old dear that you've asked <laughs> to get your tobacco, she has no hope. You know, like, I hate that well, 30 you'd seconds. Hope that you're ordering it there. by name and they've got them organised in alphabetical order. Do you know how many different brands there are? There's like oh, yeah, there's 50 a wall's different. Worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? But let's be honest, but they the just majority of there. people buy cigarettes that are Marlboro Lights or your Benson and Hedges. I suppose they just get into a rhythm of remembering where the shit is. But then again, that whole thing about the different brands, that, that to me explains the logic of the sort of identical packaging. Because I'm sure people used to buy certain brands just because the packet would look cooler than someone else's not if you've been smoking more than a couple of months after a couple of months you start experimenting in terms of what brand do i actually like to smoke Mm. and i think it has buckle i remember you like lucky strike at one point i like the backstory yeah which is sort of branding i guess Mm. but it wasn't the you saw the red dot no that's cool japan no 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 it wasn't (laughs) and it Um, used to have a real close connotation with like um formula one and almost every sponsor in formula one used to be a tobacco company at one point it's like it's like rothman's marlboro yeah I've, i've got a motorcycle jacket and like, motor- like, yeah, like motorcycle jackets are cool, but this one has like Marlboro on it and it's cooler because it's like, says Marlboro. You bought it from Camden Market, yeah, didn't you? jacket. I did. Yeah, I remember, 20, I remember the mid to late 90s, every, <laughs> every store in Camden Market had a Marlboro leather jacket on yeah, sale. that's when I got it. Oh, another initiative. You can't buy smaller quantities now. No, no more tens. I, mean, I think that's going to have uh, a negative effect. I think that's actually going to make people smoke more. Costs like 10 pounds something for a packet of cigarettes now. Yeah, but we're talking about the hardcore addicted smokers who, who, if they haven't given up by now, they're not going to, no matter what the government does. rationing into effect. (laughs) How much would the government miss the tax revenue, though? Massively. It it would miss the tax revenue from smoking as much as the EU is going to miss the money from the UK. How are the MPs going to subsidise their fags in their bars that they still smoke in? I think they still do that. We can't smoke in bars, but they can, and the ones in Parliament... Oh, yeah, and I'm sure there's, like, special smoking gentlemen's clubs where they've got, like, special no, rooms with ventilators. They were um, they were supposed to be exempt. Oh, really? In the original the original proposal for the 2007 smoking yeah. ban, wet pubs, wetland pubs, where there's no food served, they were supposed to be exempt. Gentlemen's clubs or any sort of private club was supposed to be exempt, up to a certain size, I think. But no, and then in the end, they just... Blanket ban. Yeah, because I think um, some gastro pub owners complained. This is obviously an arbitrary ruling. Like, just because we serve food doesn't mean we should have to ban whilst other pubs aren't. Yeah. But do you think it's actually caused the decline in the number of pubs in the country? Well, pub- no. I think it's changed the atmosphere of pubs. There's and, like, kids in pubs now. Yeah, but, like, when I was, like, you know, 16, 17, 18, Friday night, my local pubs would be, like, full of people the same age as me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your bows. Yeah, yeah. You'd be, be young kids would go, would, go, would, go, would go to, <laughs> yeah. And, like, young people would go up to pubs and stuff. But now, they don't. They don't, you, go, up, oh, they don't go to Ho. pubs so much. And there's less pubs anyway. You went to the Tally Ho if you wanted to get into a fight with someone. Yeah, oh, it was a shithole. It wasn't that 
I didn't go there that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went there a fair few times, but it was... It wasn't that bad. But since the smoking ban in 2007, 12,000 pubs have shut their doors. Is this directly linked? I don't know. If you could find me data of pubs that were closing before the pan came into effect, and if there's a continuous trend, then I'd say, no, it's not really the smoking ban's fault. If there was a sudden spike, then yeah, I'd say there might be a direct correlation. There was a little bit. Until you can get me that data, you can't fucking say anything. <laughs> Small downtick, but not a big drop-off. You're right, it was on a downward trend anyway. And I think really, um, tax. Tax is one thing, but just, I, I just, I just, just culturally like i like you say pubs and restaurants is not surprising because i can remember i'm not that old but i can remember being able to smoke on buses i remember people smoking on the Top tube deck, right and people used to smoke on airplanes uh, you know remember on an airplane used to be a little ashtray in your seat oh yeah it? the air was definitely filtered yeah. more often on an airplane now it's just now. now it's just inconceivable someone would spark up you know someone spark on a plane they'll like turn it around and land it at the airport <laughs> and there'll be a swat team Get waiting up. for you the culture's <laughs> just done a complete 180 on that what effect did it have on the psyche of the British public? I don't think there what was. Do you a, mean? I don't think there was a feeling like you say of a ever encroaching nanny state. I don't think. Pe- I think people actually welcomed it. Most people welcomed it, from what I remember. And there wasn't much still- of a fight back, but I think it has made people. I think it's made people generally ruder. What in terms of attitudes towards smokers? Linking back to the poster campaign, if you smoke, you stink, like that kind of stigmatizing of smokers. I think it led to people. I remember someone coming up to me. uh, This happened only a few months ago. When I smoke, waiting for the bus, obviously, I don't stand by the bus shelter, like in the bus shelter. I stand like maybe 10, 12 feet away from it. And I was on a little high street bit. And there's this real estate guy. I didn't even notice him, right? His door was open to his office, right? And he came out and he's like, mate, you need to smoke that somewhere else here. The smoke's coming into my office. Shut your door. I was like, no, I'm yeah. outside. Yeah, but at the same time, I've had a cigarette outside a newsagent's. Newsagent guys come out and said, like, you know, can you smoke just like away from the doorway because it's coming in the store? Uh, but they like, asked, yeah, that makes sense. They asked politely, right? This guy, this guy demanded of me that well, I yeah, move on somewhere Some people are just pricks. Else. I don't think that's... that's, that's I think the smoking ban, though, made people feel like, yeah, I've got that. the authority yeah. to demand that you smoke somewhere else. Even though you're outside and technically, legally, you're banged to rights. I know, like, in the States, there's, there's like, parks. You're not allowed to smoke in a... <laughs> your, if your there's park. children there, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't yeah. smoke around kids. Yeah. But that's the thing about smoking in pubs. There didn't used to be fucking kids in there when people smoked. But yeah, when they the idea of the family pub, they'd have separate smoking areas, like the smoking yeah. garden or something that might have a roof over it, like a greenhouse kind of thing. But yeah, that was for people that chose to <laughs> fuck yeah. themselves up so other people didn't get exposed to it. Most restaurants had separate. I mean, I think most restaurants had already banned smoking mm. in the rest inside the restaurant prior to yeah, the smoking but, ban anyway. But otherwise, yeah, the, they had smoking been separate areas. areas because they're quite right. You shouldn't be exposed to it. And I just think this is the next natural progression of it. So I don't really see what the big deal with the smoking ban is. Because you were saying there's banning in um, parks. Parks, parks and That's public coming places. Next. They'll be like banning, this is an anti-smoking street. This is an anti-smoking... I've already seen it on like high oh, streets right. and stuff outside <laughs> certain shops. It says like, no smoking area. And it's on the outside of the window, implying please don't smoke around there. Well, if you're walking past and you just... Well, that's slightly different. But I think if you're loitering... So you guys were saying you found it helpful in terms of actually yeah. being more social. You're going outside to have the fag and you get you get chatting with a stranger kind of thing. I associate smoking as like as socializing. It is. Go, going back. It's like you have your pint, yeah. you have your fag in hand, you're all chatting together. Mm. This is what I remember get in the old days. Them, enjoy Madam Nicotine. Whereas now in pubs, and this is why I wanted Hyman in here, because uh, in pubs now it's like there's usually a group of smokers and then maybe there's one or two people who don't smoke. And the group of smokers obviously all go off together to get outside to have their fag. Yeah. Mm. That's why I wanted Hyman in here. I wanted to ask him, what's it like being left on your own in the pub as all the smokers go outside? Might have been a bad idea because I'll turn around and say, I hate you all. So <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know what quiet. Like. <laughs> but you're right. He said, like, I just take out a book and read. Yeah. Doesn't not bother. But you're right about the social, the social aspect of it. You're very right. It's not to be underestimated. Like I was going on, going on about like bloody receptors and stuff like that. We're designed <laughs> to have nicotine in our body. There is the ancient thing of like the people sitting around smoking the pipe of peace. And even in these days, there's only a conversation. Very, but there's very few people in your life who you actually share a cigarette with. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I don't see people choosing up anymore. It's, no, it's, it's, there is. We're, it's, we're a selfish it's, it's a nation funny thing. now, aren't we? It's, yeah. it's a funny thing. Smoking, <laughs> kind of like a Singapore human human condition. Oh, the elderly in hospitals and nursing homes. Yeah. When they want to have a cigarette, they've got to struggle to 
get out of the hospital bed, get the old walking Good, frame. they shouldn't be fucking smoking. <laughs> I'm Go surprised outside. they're still alive if they're geriatric and chaining. Come on, man, sending them out into the rain and wind just to have a fag. Do you know what they're thinking of doing now? Not they're going to have a law saying you can't smoke within a certain distance of a hospital. Mm-hmm. So now, not only are they going to have to go outside, they're going to have to go far away from the hospital to have a fag. Isn't that cruel? Yeah, but Tom, you're looking at it from the cruelty to you perspective. I'm a humanitarian. Do you, think just, you, you honestly think secondhand smoke, though, outdoors? Misanthropic humanitarian. Isn't bad enough. You think I wouldn't like to risk giving someone some of my secondhand smoke. Oh, I don't care about that. You don't care about that? Okay. Listen, if, you, if I've given you a good 10, 12 feet to move around me... Yeah. Because, no, I've had that before. Where someone's made a point of coming right close to me, walking past me, and they're... <coughs> yeah, that's, that's annoying. Oh, Jesus, man, that's a, that's a nasty cough. You should probably quit smoking. <laughs> I use the updated Hicks version of that. There's two versions. But you're right, Cam. People are living too long. If you like, we sh- we're starting to figure out that certain people are more susceptible to dementia than others, right? Like, it's partly genetic. If we get a test where someone, like, you can tell by age 30, say, whether or not they're going to end up with dementia, I think it should be mandatory that they have to take up smoking so they die younger. Is that not a good idea? So they'll sort of pay for their own treatment? No. Well, in a way, maybe. Or just they'll die younger and pay for their own treatment. They, they suffer die. less for a shorter period of time, basically. Okay, so we're talking about medical advancements where they can detect that sort of stuff years before it happens. They can make some super cigarette. Exactly, that's actually good for you. <laughs> Imagine if they cured all cancer and heart disease, would everyone suddenly start smoking? Nah. <laughs> I think counterintuitively, people would actually stop doing... Like, do you know what I mean? At the point that we find the cure for it, everyone goes for prevention anyway. Mm. What other bands do you think that are going to come in now? Are we on the slippery slope, basically? Cars. I think one day, eventually... It would have to be, uh, at the very least, you'd have to have a hybrid car. Otherwise, it's banned. Or pay a huge amount of money, you know, for the privilege. I think something else that will be banned in the future, alcohol. I think it's coming eventually. Well, if it came out now, they'd probably ban it. <laughs> yeah, if alcohol was never invented before and it came out today, it'd be a class A drug. I know, but, but the thing about without alcohol, how many truths wouldn't have been told? How many babies, babies wouldn't have been made? <laughs> drugs and the human existence. How many fights would have been avoided? How many yeah. broken faces? I know, but you toast your victories, you drown your <laughs> sorrows. Getting fucked is an intrinsic part of the human condition. Do you think um, it'll get to the demolition man levels? actual physical intercourse and kissings banned due to uh, the risk the health and safety factor i don't know there's nothing i think that should be banned motorsports i think will be, will be banned eventually so um, boxing meat eating that's uh, i think that's inevitable that mm. one's coming soon this well, maybe really. 20 years until they can make sort of artificial meat which they're already trying to do synthesize yeah, yeah. Corn that because tastes um, nice. <laughs> just the intensive agriculture that's, yeah. that's contributing massively to the pollution and in the world. I've heard we, you might have high-rise farms. Well, the skies... Because it makes more sense to yeah. have a high-rise farm rather yeah. than people living in high-rise buildings. <laughs> have your, like, industry and your farming in high-rises and then people live in houses mm. with little gardens and things. Well, at least the cows get a nice view before they're, <laughs> they're off. Sent off to the mill. Yeah. You could just mm. kick them off. That's, yeah, combine the two. Yeah. Just have the whole building tilt over 45 degrees one day and there you go. So you go, you're pro-smoking ban. Yes, but I'm not, I'm not for, like, making it illegal. There's, that's a paradox. It's like a contradiction. You might as well just, why not take it to the logical conclusion and just ban smoking? I think inevitably that will happen. But it looks like they're going but the other way yet. with drugs now. Yeah, decriminalising, I think, would be the first step. No, I was just saying oh. it's the next logical step, eventually ban smoking. But I think there'll be too much of an uproar at the moment because the population of smokers is still quite significant. There's no real fight back. From the smokers on the smoking ban. Like yeah. I said, the tobacco no, lobby's tried. <laughs> Meek imagine, Church of England smokers. Can you imagine, though, if they, like, suddenly took away everyone's tobacco? I'm not talking about anyone having any. If they We'd took, do nothing. No. How angry are you? If, if you're a real smoking addict and you don't have a fag and you're dying for a fag and you can't have a fag, it, yeah. does, it does make you more wound up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So there'd be, like, riots if they, month, if they made it. Yeah. There'd know, be a month I'm, I'm, of increased violence. <laughs> 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 There'd be a 500% increase in people getting slapped in the back of the head. <laughs> Road rage and shit like that. And then they ban slapping. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of obnoxious moral grandstanding, is it immoral 
to ride in an Uber. No. Found it Australian. Yeah, we sold it. We sold it. We sold it. personally use uber um because i don't feel that it was morally uh, acceptable but that's not to say that they can't reform their practices and Spell i would, hope that, to, I would why hope is it morally unacceptable well i don't like the way that they're exploiting their workers and i think the recent case proved that uh, in the courts that suggested that the workers that were there were in fact workers and they weren't flexible workers and they needed to be given the uh, adequate amount of protection and rights that workers enjoy so Labour MP and Shadow Business Secretary Rebecca Bailey Long wait Long Bailey Rebecca Long Bailey sounds wrong doesn't it it sounds like it should be the other way around is there any rules when it comes to double barreled names I reckon is it meant to be the mums and the dads or the dads and the mums should I'm be the man, sure. man we're all too man. lower class to understand these things there's, someone needs to phone in and tell us I'm sure there's some old patriarchal Probably thinking behind double barrel surnames, but I reckon I think she married a guy and then didn't fully take. I reckon that's. I don't. She doesn't sound like upper middle class. Yeah, because sometimes family, you see. Some, do you know what I mean? Sometimes I've seen some double barrel names, and they're not like posh Ooh, names. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, no, you've just done that yourself. Yeah. But she was there extolling the virtue of refusing to ride with a potential directionless date rapist, more commonly known as an Uber driver. Do you recall when you first heard of Uber? Yes, I was very I drunk. It was amazing. I was very drunk and I was just like poured into one. Get a what? And it was all very easy and instant, even though it took me twice as long to get where I was going and he went the wrong way. I think it was massively convenient when it came out, much like it's massively convenient now. There's loads of things to complain about it, but it's just... It's cheap. It's a cheap service where cheap. I get what I want. They're, they're playing the market, so good luck to them. Yeah, I first heard of them um, late 2013, I think, a few years ago now. Mm. And uh, yeah, at first initially I thought, okay, that's quite cool. You whip out your mobile phone and then so you hail down here. the minicab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they know where you are. You know where they, you can track them as they're coming towards you. And all. I thought it was pretty cool. But shortly thereafter, the black cabs, the iconic tr- London black cabs, mm. the black cabbies, they came out against Uber quite yeah. vehemently. We're not tolerating this. Well, yeah, the glory days of the black cab are over. I mean, back in the day where they could just, like, take cash and then you didn't have to, you know, announce it for uh, tax purposes. And they, they got ridiculous <laughs> amounts of money and they um, bought houses and they did themselves up nicely. But now it's being threatened. It was a job that you could do for life and it would provide for a family around the same time that most jobs were like that. Uh. And I think that was, um, like, when Uber first started and the black cabbies came out against them, yeah. most of the British press sided with uber mm. saying this is the new technology yeah. this is the way it's going the direction it's heading and the black cabbies they're just luddites who can't deal with competition and it's like well no 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 no, hold on black cabbies black cabs that is a form of public transport mm. in a city that arguably has one of the most extensive public transport systems in the world in terms of trains and buses yeah it's convenient and cabs have been competing with that from the very beginning, cabs, they, I think technically they date back to like 18th century, horse and carriage. Yeah. They've been competing with public, other forms of public transport well, forever. But that's because people were saying, oh, Uber, the black cabbies, they just can't deal with competition. No, they've been competing for cent- for a century. They've been competing with other forms of public transport. Yeah, but they were popular transport. for different elements. And Uber's basically just come and uh, offer the exact same thing, but for a far more convenient and cheaper rate. And what, I, what you also got to remember is... The minicab industry as well, private hire. Been around we decades. Ring up and, and book a cab. Yeah. Now, of course, the, the thing about the black cabs, they just go where the quick, fast money is, the fast turnover. So they're always around the centre of town. They're riding, they're hail and ride. If you're out in the suburbs, other places, you never see a black cab. So you're forced to rely on these minicab firms, which do sometimes charge extortionate rates for short journeys. And now having something like Uber, which will literally be a quarter of what you'd pay and it no. turns up yeah no not even not even close most of the i remember when, when you get price surges but not even um, someone, not even outside yeah. of price surging i remember um there were magazines tons of newspapers and magazines that did the price comparison thing of minicab black cab uber mm. yeah. and what they found is uber is slightly cheaper yeah. than minicabs minicabs are slightly yeah. cheaper than black cabs but when you factor in surge pricing it, it's about roughly the same. There's no real significant, but there's no also, real significant difference. But there's also the convenience thing. Like if you're out in the burbs and you ring up for a minicab and it's like, or oh, it'd be at least half an hour. You know what I mean? Most and Uber then, drivers don't do but, suburbs. But no, then sometimes, when you get out of but, but then sometimes you can go onto an Uber and it'll be like 
like they will see like three within a few minutes of you. So it's a lot more convenient. I think this is a service that people have wanted for a long time, but they didn't know they wanted it until they got it. <laughs> yeah. The black cabbies came out against Uber. Mm. I am a big fan. I like the iconic black cab. And I also, um, I still think there is a little bit of prestige and honor with doing the knowledge, actually remembering almost every single road in yeah, London, and if man, anyone who knows London, I've still gotten into black cabs, and they've fucked up and gone the where? wrong route. And I've said, like, can you go mm. in this direction? Yeah. And they've gone another, and then ends up sitting in traffic for ages. And when I complained about it, the guy said, yeah. "Well, get out then, get out then, if you don't want it." But there's well, nothing you can do about traffic. There is, you can do well, stuff. There is, okay. If you know you, the knowledge, then you should be no, up no, to date and aware of what's going on with the knowledge. The knowledge, the the knowledge won't help you, you with traffic. The knowledge won't help you with traffic. The thing that will help you with traffic is Waze. Waze. It's an app which is um, updated by its users and in real time. And it's just like a sat-nav that you use on your mobile phone. But um, You know what's good? Google Maps is good for that. Yeah. So even doing the knowledge now, if you see a black cabbie, he normally has it down on his right, so you can't see it, but he'll have Waze. Every professional driver's like, I know, <laughs> uses Waze now. And black cabbies, they'll, they'll have to use it to avoid traffic in central London. But the black cabbies coming out against Uber for, made me take a closer look at Uber, the company, who Uber is. And basically what I discovered is Uber's business model is centered on the idea of we're not really a taxi firm. We're not a taxi company. We're a mobile web app company. So we can circumnavigate all of the usual taxi regulation codes and licenses and criminal background checks on drivers. We can forget all of that. And that's how we undercut the competition. Every single time Uber goes into a city, they begin operating illegally. And then what they do when the government, eventually the uh, reg- government state regulator comes along, they throw them a bung, a little brown envelope, shut the fuck up, go away, leave us alone, we're providing jobs. That's what you tell the public. And uh, I remember Boris Johnson initially came out against Uber and in favor of the black cabbies. He very, like, in a span of 24 hours, he changed his mind. And what happened is, is uh, Uber director of communications in the UK, Rachel Whetstone, She's very good personal friends with David Cameron, then Prime Minister, before he fucked everything. But yeah, within 24 hours, Boris changed his mind. Suddenly he's like, no, 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 no. Uber's brilliant. Uber's the revolutionary new way of hailing a cab. And the black cabbies, they're uh, anti-technology Luddites who just can't keep up with the times. There's one context where that's true with the black cabbies. Not enough of them have, uh, you can pay by smart uh, debit cards, credit cards, you know, the little contactless readers that not enough cabs have that. Taking a closer look at Uber. A couple of months after Uber launched, a direct competitor to Uber launched as well, because there's actually nothing proprietary about the Uber web app. Who competed against them? A company called Lyft, L-Y-F-T. Oh, yeah. And I've, they both, launched, they both launched in the San Francisco around the same time, right? And uh, when Uber heard that they had a new direct competitor, Uber CEO, Travis Kalanick, he got Uber employees, friends and family to start ordering Lyft cabs and then cancelling them last minute so that there was anytime someone opened their Lyft app, there would be a shortage of drivers because they're all going off to these fake orders. And that's pretty underhand. did (laughs) Did he get done for that? No. It came out after the fact, but it yeah. it helped. Supposedly, it helped Uber a great deal in terms of cornering the market. Is Uber owned? Is Uber owned? <laughs> is Uber owned by Google? No, ridiculous evaluation on Uber. Eighty billion dollars. There's nothing proprietary about it whatsoever, and it's worth eighty billion dollars. It's it's just a brand, cheap to run. But I think it's a, a disreputable brand. I think it's the kind of brand. It's a bit like Nestle. You know how Nestle are really pieces of shit. Oh, yeah. Are they? And, like, almost everybody knows about it, but you kind of put it to the back of your mind because you like chocolate milkshake. You like your Kit Kats. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, Nestle are a company that have been fined multiple times. Oh, yeah. They've sort of, like, knowingly distributed, like, baby milk that's, like, not very good for babies to, like, third world countries. To get them hooked. What did you think when you started, when the horror stories about young women getting sexually assaulted and groped in the back of Uber came out? I think that's been associated with cab drivers for a very long time. Yeah. I don't remember associating that with black cabs. Well, Not there, black cabs as yeah, such, but, but definitely been, mini cabs, but I remember unlicensed b- b- cabs. Before Uber, there was a very famous case of this um, black cab driver who was like a serial rapist and he got caught. Um, <laughs> for my time, maybe. If, if you could put yourself in the shoes of like a sort of sex pervert, a, a mini cab driver would be like a really good job to have you know easy pickings you know wait for them well, to get in drunk and pass out yeah tim's uh you're, you're about to start talking about rotherham aren't you 
No. Oh, okay. But they were you know, mini, there were a lot of them were cab drivers. drivers yeah. Yeah. But uh, Cameron, you said they're unlicensed cabs. Yeah, that is a problem. And that is technically what Uber were when they started. Yeah, but they've all got licenses now. What tends to happen is when a city comes down hard on Uber and starts saying, no, you know what, you are a taxi firm mm. and we're going to regulate you as a taxi firm. What they do is they cease operations. They leave. To them, it's not worth it. Financially, it's not worth it. And they just leave the market. I know Uber wanted to argue that they want the London mayor wanted to introduce uh, English tests for taxi drivers. And they argued against that. That's still up in the air. Slightly xenophobic, but practical. Necessary, <laughs> isn't it? To understand your, where you want to go and if you want to change direction or location. Well, not really. If you just way. put it on the app so that you can make changes during the journey to different locations, then all the driver's got to do is keep on looking at his sat-nav and get there. No need for conversation. But they will try you and strike that, up conversation with you anyway because what, they want drivers? you to start. Yeah, because they want you to get, get them stars. The five-star rating. Yeah. Thing. And it's all incentivizing them. That's it's, um, it's competition. That's an aspect yeah. I don't like Nothing either. Nothing wrong with that. Free market economy. Yeah, it's something that's lacking in society these yeah. days. But all it takes is one or two one-star ratings. Entitlement. All it takes is one or two vindictive one-star ratings. And the, you know, um, it's if your average drops below, I think, 4.7, basically nobody's going to accept you. Nobody who wants an Uber car is going to take a 4.7 rated driver. But what's wrong with that? 4.7? That's not that fucking low. Do you know what I mean? It's 0.3 away from a perfect five. But what I'd say to Rebecca Long Bailey... He had a, he had a bit of a dodgy look, so I one-starred him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, a bit ethnic for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Rebecca Long Bailey, she said she doesn't use it because it's morally unacceptable, but then she went into one about, like... Treatment of drivers. The treatment of the drivers. And I thought, well, come on, free market economy. Like, we've all done... Like, I've done come jobs. On, I've done jobs where I've quit after one day because I knew it was a con or it was shit or it was fake. And alternatively, I've done jobs where I know that I'm actually at a loss. But because I'm into it and I'm going to learn something, I'll do it. You know, no one forces someone to work for Uber. They can just quit if they don't like the working A lot of them do. Um, what do you call it? Is it not retraction? The rate of um, how... Retention. Retention rate. I think it's 18 months. No, it's not even 18 months. It's less than a year. The Uber drivers, they start working technically-ish for Uber. We're just, they're working and they're just giving part of their earnings to Uber. Because I think a lot of Uber drivers think, oh, do you know what? I can actually do this for a living. Not so much just topping up a supplementary income. But if you want to do it as a living, you've got to work. Non-stop. You've got to do... 13, 14 hour shifts and you've got to do the late night pink, picking well, up the drunk what, bastards. It makes, it makes them better drivers and that's what I'm looking for. They're, yeah, awful. they're terrible drivers. drivers. <laughs> they're the worst drivers on the road. It's true. They are awful. They've not heard of one way streets Priuses before. and, and th- that's not last a, minute Google map changes. It's not a racist thing. It's and not a lot of accidents. It's not I know ra- they're Google map drivers because they follow the same route that I do. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, 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 I recognise that shit. Last minute changing into junctions. It's not a racist thing though. It's more like a Tower of Babel situation where who like found their language. Well, where like you've got people who come over, and there's so many people coming into London from so many different countries, and every country has different driving practices and etiquette, and um, it's crazy sometimes. Some of the things I see Uber drivers do that no other driver does, and I just think he's yeah. done that because not caring the world. It's fine for him, you know. Whether he learned to drive, it's okay to do a three point turn on a motorway. You know, <laughs> no, I've had an Uber driver that's uh, reversed into another car and then just driven off with me in the back seat That's a, with a loud crunch and everything it wasn't a loud crunch but it was a definite <laughs> oh, okay. maybe he didn't maybe he thought it hit a car well, maybe he, but someone mentioned surge pricing I think it was Cam yeah I find that highly offensive the idea of surge pricing and uh, why because it's an automated algorithm and automated algorithms can be gamed and that's what Uber drivers started doing shortly after they they figured out how it worked. Whenever there's a shortage of Uber drivers available, surge pricing kicks in because there's more demand than there is supply. And so what Uber drivers started doing, they would get a request for a pickup. They would see, is surge pricing on yet? No. Okay. Cancel that. Get another request. All right. Still no surge pricing kicked in yet. Cancel that. And they wait. And by, like, by pretending that they're not available, they artificially decrease the supply and then surge pricing kicks in because it's an org- it's an automated algorithm. If you get a few of them ganging up together, communicating, they could uh, cartel play the whole company. But then you know that's that's it. It's the purest form of capitalism, and you can actually outboss your boss. <laughs> the system is made to be gamed. But you don't like them from a moral standpoint. 
You're with uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey on this one. She mentioned treatment of drivers. Uh, I think what she means by that is year-on-year Uber take an extra percentage point off of the driver's fare. And in the early goings, obviously, they were skirting all the regulations, so they could afford to get away with not taking too much from the drivers. I mean, just in cab drive, just for cab drivers generally, I I think it's really it's a bit unfair that they have to pay the MOT, the insurance, the petrol, just general maintenance of the cars, all up to them. They get no holiday pay, no pension contributions, nothing. They're better off becoming a chauffeur because all that shit gets paid for by the company. Technically, employees rather than independent contractors. Yeah. Is there enough demand? No, of course. Not. Well, yeah. there you go then. But I think when it comes to cheaper fares, the market is pretty much at what it will bear already. As in, if it started to go even lower, basically it would become economically just not viable to even be a cab driver anymore. I don't think Uber are going to push down prices any more than it already has done. Maybe the reason Uber like keeps knocking off the amount of money you make every year, they want to, eventually they want to discourage human drivers and they'll have a fully automated fleet. That's I think they are go. planning that. That's, that's, that's probably their ultimate long-term goal from the time they founded the company. So it's, I like, the majority of Uber experiences have been positive. Maybe, maybe the reason I don't like Uber, I've only gotten an Uber once. Yeah, it was going back from mine, wasn't it? Yeah. And I uh, bitched about that for ages. <laughs> I'm not going to say where the destination was, but he took the M11, which doesn't go anywhere near where I live. That's like the opposite direction. Almost. Pretty much. It's like basically if he were taking me up north. Yeah. We went this direction on the M11 for about 10, 15 minutes. Pure silence. This guy did not say a word to me when I got in. Nothing, right? Yeah. And eventually, like, I panicked. And I'm like, I, I think, is he is he kidnapping me? Yeah. And so I We're asked about to him. get raped. <laughs> I put a bit of bass in my voice. I prepped myself, psyched myself up. Hey, right, mate, what, what direction exactly are you going in? And without saying a word... He just turns the car around and goes back down the opposite direction. He didn't say a word to me the entire journey. Oh, my God. Just a test. Just a test. But eventually, he got me home. The payment was done automatically, like, without me confirming or anything like that, right? And in the morning, I woke up and found out it cost me 75 quid for a 55-minute journey that should have been 20 minutes. Okay, fair enough. That's a bad experience. Uber did, to their credit, they gave me some of the money back. I think they gave me 40 quid back. That's good. Just, mm, yeah. All right, but not really that much cheaper. Not that much cheaper than a minicab. I think 35, 40 upwards would be a, a, a reasonable a black price cab. for where you wanted to go. Black cab no, would have been 45. Minicab, minicab yeah. would have been about 35, which is what the Uber was. Yeah. So in my experience was it wasn't that much cheaper than what another service would have been. And the guy went completely the wrong way. I was overcharged but I'll initially. I also remember that evening you tried ordering cabs from minicabs and stuff beforehand. I tried one. couldn't get anyone. I tried one number. And then you're like, oh, for sheer he didn't show up. let's try Uber. He didn't show up. That was it. We waited half an hour and he didn't show up. But you got your Uber cab. Yes, I did. Ultimately, it did Within cost a few you minutes. Pounds. Within a few minutes, he showed so up. So convenient. And you couldn't get and a black affordable. cab. What do you mean convenient? <laughs> <laughs> All right, there was, a cer- there was a certain element of complaining going on. There weren't any black cabs anywhere. You would have had to have gone outside. I did the cold. not. There might have been. Held them down like and some. Walk, prosti- they're just prostitutes of the road. That's all they are. <laughs> Glad you said that, Tim. Because the um, Lyft, Uber's direct competitor, does not operate in the UK. So Uber have no direct competition other than black cabs. Mm. There are mobile phone apps. There's two called Get with two T's. And Halo. So this, again, like this, this argument that uh, black cabbies, they're Luddites, they're behind the times, they're dinosaurs. That's bullshit. There are mobile phone apps for black cabs. It's just nobody really knows about them. Everyone knows Uber. all over the place, yeah. Uber have obviously got massive market share. territory, so... But there is an alternative, technically. If you want to be part of the sharing economy as a driver, mm. Uber is the only option. Unless you do the knowledge. It's going to cost you. I cost just, you a couple hundred I quid, see I think. it is redundant these days. Well, I think in general, the whole economy and the way that we interact with it becoming a lot more personalised, commoditized, and we, we want it a lot faster. Having these sort of micro-businesses within businesses is, is the way forward. I, I say give it 20 like years. everyone's a businessman. I say give it 20 years, everyone will be self-employed. In a way, that's what the sharing economy is, right? People just becoming self-employed. Only maybe they don't do it as a full-time job. 
Because um, so Re- Rebecca Bailey, Long, Long Bailey, whatever it is, the argument that was employed against her was actually, I drive for Uber and I enjoy the flexible working hours. So that's, I guess, if you can afford to only work three hours as an Uber driver, that's a like flex- a holiday camp. Maybe people like being stuck in traffic and getting paid yeah, for maybe it. Maybe you're the weird one. <laughs> Another Orwellian euphemism that I'm not a big fan of, which applies to Uber, disruptive technologies... I think disruptive is a misnomer. I think it should really be destructive, as in Uber are threatening the livelihoods of our iconic black cabs. Natural competition. Yeah, it's sort of like how the uh, natural livelihood of... An industry. The the fucking coal delivery boy or the chimney sweep... Was, was sort of superseded just by changes in technology exactly. and society. Exactly, everyone hating Thatcher for shutting down the mines. No, it was a dead fucking profession. It was it's a zombie industry. Moving on, yeah. yeah. I think technically speaking, what's changed is the way you order a cab. Cabs themselves have not changed. The industry of taxi cabs has not been revolutionised. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the way you the hail a cab. day and age has enabled us to be even lazier. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's unfortunately, cabs have started to make a change. Like you said, black cabs have got their own like apps and so forth, but they left it too late. And of course, you know, and if I put myself in an Uber driver's shoes, he could argue that black cab drivers have some advantages that he hasn't got. Like they've got oh, dedicated yeah, like worldwide reputation. Yeah, but they've also got like dedicated parking places in which central they, London, and, which they pay for. Yeah, but like parking is like sacrosanct in town, and taxi ranks at That's airports, it, taxi ranks, and um, they stations. pay for that. They pay a sum of money for that year on year. I still get picked yeah, up by an Uber from there. It's <laughs> it happens all the time. The Ubers yeah. just go in there anyway because nobody enforces it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll happily jump into that Uber. That's why, why? I think... Because it's convenient. There is an inherent unethicalness to Uber. Uh, we've barely touched on CEO Travis Kalanick, who I think is just generally a piece of shit. I mean, we mentioned earlier the way he deals with direct competition. I, don't, I think there's more moral outrages out there in the world for us to get on of our course. high horses over as opposed to a taxi firm, which is somewhat Yeah, children corrupt. are getting shot in drive-bys yeah. and, you know, yeah. There's hor- more horrible things going on in the world, I admit. So I, I, I feel quite content and turn this like blind eye. <laughs> just whatever's good for me me works out quite well but that's one silver lining i would say to the existence of uber and the cheap affairs trope for lack of a better word they've exposed a lot of faux anti-capitalists there's a lot of young people out there who are like oh, i'm really i'm really anti-capitalism yeah me i'm right on but you know don't ever take away my cheap affairs yeah <laughs> i don't give a fuck how exploited those workers are <laughs> it, do we agree with rebecca long bailey getting into an uber is immoral no. No. Unethical. No. no. Convenient. Re- Rebecca Dong. Rebecca Dong. Rebecca, <laughs> Rebecca Long Bailey. She probably hasn't ever worked in the free market economy. She's probably been a professional yeah. politician her whole yeah. life. Ever she's since the she same. She's in the Labour Party. That's she hasn't got a clue. Like, she hasn't Labour's got a clue. liberal fucking weasel factory with a socialist agenda. No one forces anyone to work for Uber. Like you say, most people do it for a while, think it's shit and quit. Anyone who stays, <laughs> probably an idiot. It's the lack of choice. That's the problem, I think. And I think um, the real problem is the number of occupations you can do that will actually provide for you in the sense of like you can actually be uh, entirely self-efficient without relying on state welfare or anything like that. Those number of jobs are drying up and they're going to be drying up in the next 25 years. But I would say getting into an Uber is not immoral. That's a bit, it's a little bit puritanical. I mean, it's like when people give you shit for getting a Starbucks. Mm. But if you're a Puritan, you can use Get halo for black cabs maybe lyft will one day yeah operate in london but they seem to be they seem to be a bit trumpian a bit of america first in the taxi wars who are the humans and who are the apes never mind it's time for movie talk war for the planet of the apes years from now Your children will ask you, what did you do in the greatest war? And you can tell them, I fought to protect this world. We created this. But now, we will bring an end to their kind. Directed by Matt Reeves, who did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and also Cloverfield. Starring Woody Harrelson 
and Andy Serkis. Now, you might remember Andy Serkis as King Kong and Gollum. Yeah, Gollum, I remember us. Lord of the Rings. And soon to be Ulysses Claw in Black Panther. So this is the third film. I don't know if it's part of a trilogy or if there's going to be a fourth film, but this is the third Planet of the Apes film centered around the character of Caesar. If you don't remember, Caesar was like the super intelligent monkey. Human experimentation created this super intelligent monkey called Caesar. Was it James Franco? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's or something. That some was it. Yeah, brain that disorder. Was it. And he ended up making like some sort of virus that turns monkeys intelligent. Yeah. And also humans stupid. Oh, I didn't know that. Something like that. that, that that's what's the later it, films. That's what's introduced in this film, basically. A little bit of spoilers there, but... Ooh, what, is everyone stupid? <laughs> so Andy Serkis plays Caesar, and uh, he and his band of merry apes are forced into a deadly conflict with an army of humans led by a ruthless colonel, played by Woody Harrelson. After the apes suffer unimaginable losses, Caesar wrestles with his darker instincts and begins his own mythic quest to avenge his wife and his eldest son, and also to rescue his youngest son. Mm. So he's got a lot of motivation in this one, Caesar. This movie wasn't quite what I was expecting. It's called War for the Planet of the Apes, and I was kind of expecting there to be... Caesar's like this general who's commanding his armies and he's like, he's doing okay on this front, but he's losing on this front. I mean, it's not like that at all. That'd be pretty boring, to be honest with you. Well, from from the trailer, it looked like, you know, action packed with huge Mm. battles and explosions, but there weren't actually huge battles. There weren't thousands of apes. It was more hundreds. How do you conquer a planet with a few hundred apes? (laughs) Sounds more like the the country of the apes at the moment Mm. rather than planet of the apes. More principality. They had, like, basically they have their own base. Okay. They've got their own stronghold. But it is a well-crafted film, though. Like, the visuals are pretty stunning. The CGI is very, very good. I mean, you can tell from the trailer the CGI is pretty good. Outside of the extremely well-done CGI, I would say Woody Harrelson stole the film a little bit. Obviously, direct parallels between this and the standard Vietnam War movie. And the beginning of the film is... They're in a jungle with lots of trees and Charlie's in the trees. You know, he's up in the leaves. There's even a bit where these monkeys are walking through this tunnel and there's graffiti on the wall saying ape apocalypse now. <laughs> dumb. But dumb can be I all right. I recognize that. That was an old film. Exactly. But dumb can be all right sometimes. As long as there's like... Uh, dumb can be fun, Tom. It can be. True. And as long as there's an emotional connection there that you actually care about the characters on screen. And that's what this film... It does that, okay, admittedly, it does it in a little bit of a cheap way. We can all kind of imagine what losing our son and our wife, do you know what I mean? Like how... Harrowing. Heartbreaking that could be. The dialogue was basically a mix of expository, explaining the plot, and then you're sort of, we're not savages. We're not going to kill this little girl because she she doesn't really pose a threat to us anyway. But it was obviously like mostly driven by Andy Serkis's performance as Caesar. Now, of course, Caesar is a CGI creation. It was motion capture on Andy Serkis's face. Done extremely well. The range of human emotions comes through. And it's done well enough that you, uh, after about five, ten minutes, you forget that you're looking at a kind of CGI, almost cartoonish representation of a monkey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you connect with him. Well, I think part of that, which I got from all the Planet of the Apes films, is, is because monkeys do look, sort of look like us. Yeah, close, all pretty animals. close. It's very easy to transpose that onto real monkeys as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a great animal to pick if, you, if you're going to do a film where they Our closest that. relative. It's all about the eyes as well, isn't it, with the, with the chimpanzees when you look into their eyes and apes. There is a real intelligence. Human quality. Yeah. There's a line in the movie where Woody Harrelson goes, mm, look at your eyes, almost human. And of course, what separates Andy Serkis's Caesar from the rest Is of the chimpanzees in the age? Exactly. They're obviously made to be very human looking eyes. But it's a really solid blockbuster, borderline popcorn movie. Tonally, it's a very dark, depressing film. Uh, of course, like I aforementioned, Caesar loses his wife. I put wife in quotation marks because it's. His it's bitch. Mate, surely. Like, why would an ape, regardless of how intelligent it is, why would it say wife? Why wouldn't it say mate? Did they have a wedding ceremony? Mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, no, you mated. Yeah, did monkey Jesus come down? But tonally, it's a very dark and depressing film. Mm. Obviously, you've got the revenge factor of I lost my wife and my son. Yeah, you need to hook the audience for something they can understand. 
It's a bit by the numbers, do you know what I mean? But it does pull it off fairly well. There's uh, there's like a subplot. For anyone who's seen the prior films, you may remember the character Cobra. The other uh, monkey. Yeah, the other intelligent one. And there, the conflict between Cobra and Caesar was based around, I want just revenge on the humans. Mm. And Caesar's, no, I want peaceful coexistence. In this film, Cobra is influencing. Beyond the grave, he's influencing Caesar. And he's like stoking Caesar's feelings of anger and revenge, which he doesn't really get over. The moral of the story is humanity reaped what it sowed. And you obviously that's central to this film as well. Yeah. Humans created a virus mm. that turned apes super intelligent. They deserved and, it. And in this film, it turns uh, human beings into lower primates to the point where they can't communicate anymore, like, especially not verbally. There's, like, they lose all syntax and language. But I found that a little bit odd. I mean, obviously, when the, the film is portraying the apes as the good guys, the humans as the bad guys, right? right. But this is a battle for survival, mm. not even just supremacy. Yeah. It's a battle for survival. So as you kind of side with the humans. Yeah. Monkey v. Man. Naturally, you know what I mean? in the end of the day, blood is sick in the water. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with your species. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you kind of do kind of think, well, you know, the humans, yeah. they've got their reasons, you know? Woody but, Harrison might be a little bit crazy. but so we all like Woody. But then, you know, there, there is that whole just start playing of, um, the theme tune halfway through and, like, have this monkey massacre. Making your way in the world today. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> if a cameo by, um, what's his name? <laughs> Norm. This comes in with a bit. The main dude. Ted oh, Danson. Ted Danson, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, that was always an attraction of the Planet of the X films because it is about the apocalypse. Yeah. Good line. But that's always a cool genre, isn't it? Apocalypse porn. <laughs> yeah. mm. It's you know you know that it's the, the humanity's doomed. Well, you can start the film. You can get some you know, visceral yeah. action. You know, it's over. <laughs> and do you get that sense in this film? No, the the general premise is the apes are somewhat still outmatched in terms of technology and weaponry. And they're like, I don't want to go too much into the plot, but Woody Harrison is sitting on a cache of a lot of ammunition, mm. and he's stop- he just doesn't know how to use it. He's kind of stockpiling it in a way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He gives a really good performance, Woody Harrelson. I would say arguably better than Andy Serkis because a lot of a lot of this film is Andy Serkis looking sad, lamentable, and like I say, the dialogue, the script wasn't great, and I think Woody Harrelson probably had the better lines overall. But he sort of stole the show. Yeah, because he can like you know make it his own because he's able to use things like determiners and proper grammatical syntax. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hard to deliver a rousing speech when all you can say is "man bad." <laughs> there's a lot of leeway when it comes to which monkeys can uh, which apes can talk and which ones can't like at certain points of the film this ape, it's established this ape can't talk but then by the end of the movie they are talking and there's even a bit where a monkey's almost fluent in English and then suddenly 20 minutes later it's broken bad <laughs> yeah you know what I mean like suddenly his ability to speak deteriorates yeah Is child. I don't know. But she was you. She has no one else. We are not savages. Apes fight only to survive. Bad human kill ape. All, all dead now. A long time. Soldier. I'm nitpicking, really. You're going to be blown away by the visuals of the movie, even though it's kind of a bit like you won't quite get used to seeing a monkey riding a horse. It's like their legs are too short. <laughs> it just looks really weird. And the way they shoot machine guns as well. Although I suppose that's realistic. Monkeys are super strong. Oh, they can single wield uh, automatic machine guns. Exactly. Yeah. They, they hold an AK-47 in one hand. But they can't aim for shit, though, to be honest. But, I mean, it's, it's basically Apocalypse Now. Woody Harrison plays a very Marlon Brando-esque character, the colonel who's lost his mind through PTSD. It is old, it's a little bit of a letdown. I was hoping for a massive epic battle at the end between humans and apes. I'm going into spoiler territory here. You don't get that. What you get is a skirmish, which is high intensity, mm. a lot of action going on but it's between humans versus humans it's a little bit of a letdown you want to see a massive battle 
where apes are kind of tearing humans limb to limb. You know, they've got the superior strength from like ripping off their eyelids and shit. Well, there is violence in the movie, but it's, it's more apes getting shot. Like you say, Tom, that, that sounds like a skirmish, a small scale thing. Yeah. That's not, not a, war. a war. I wanted to see flanax of, of apes. Yeah, scuffle. Coming the over the apes. hills. <laughs> tanks one side. Apes, you know, just going at it. But it's nothing what, that big. Nothing what that you big. get instead is um, Prison Break, The Escape from the internment camp. Woody Harrison has enslaved all these apes um, and he's building a wall, a barrier wall. Although apparently the script was written before. To keep before. the Mexicape out. Supposedly the script was written before Donald Trump ran for president. But in terms of pacing, it's two hours long, it's 140 minutes, but it feels, it does feel like a kind of 90 minute movie. The pacing of it is good enough. You're not bored in any way. Smart as hell. You're stronger than we are. But you're taking this all much too personally. So emotional! I did not start this war. But I will finish it. Overall... It's a good summer blockbuster, which is what it was trying to be. It was also, well, it was also trying to be Apocalypse Now, and it didn't quite, didn't quite make it. it. Didn't quite get there. But it's not a bad film. If you go and see it, you'll enjoy it. You won't be amazed by it unless you're dumb. Oh my god! When the movie ended, one person awkwardly taking no one else joined. <laughs> no, good. It's always beautiful when that happens. Exactly. But I think overall, people did enjoy it. I would not recommend going to see it in central London and paying 16, 17 quid. I wouldn't go see it in 3D. That wouldn't be worth it. But if you love the first two, otherwise, yeah, maybe go see The Beguiled. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, or should I be gender neutral and just say everybody? Hey, everybody. Northern Line's doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, thank you very much for listening to episode 47 of the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. If you're listening on iTunes, be sure to give us a good rating as it helps us out a lot. Failing that, please follow us on SoundCloud, on the Twitter, maybe like us on Facebook to keep up to date with our latest podcast releases. And a special thanks to my guest today, Cameron. Thank you for joining us. It's okay. It's just okay. It was an evening. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Tim. Thank you for having me. You've reminded me the importance of not smoking. I'm going to redouble my efforts to quit. And hopefully be, the next time you hear from me, I will be a non-smoker. Maybe. <laughs> I won't get an Uber, though. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Until next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.